August, I think it was August 2nd, don't quote me on that, it was in August sometime, but the, it wasn't sent to Britain for months yet, but they signed it, they agreed on the wording, I do believe one signer, this is, none of this should be quoted, because I could be wrong on this, but I believe one of them signed it on July 4th, I think it was John Hancock, but I'm not positive, you can look that up, that's free 4th of July trivia. But one person signed it, they agreed on the wording of it, and they still had six, seven years of bloody conflict. They were probably, when they signed the declaration, when they drafted and agreed on the wording of the Declaration of Independence, they were probably going to lose. Like, well, that's not really that good of news. Why are we celebrating? Because they didn't. But they signed it, they agreed on it, they, they formed a pact, and they all decided we're against the odds, we're believing that we're going to be free. We're declaring freedom, and then we're going to fight for it. Interesting, as it connects, the, the little colonies, they had, like I said, five, six, seven years of battles yet. It was seven years, I think, before the Treaty of Paris was signed, from this point, so from July 4th, 1776, it was years before any country in the world would recognize them as a sovereign state. What a clear picture of playing the long game. We started last week, we talked a little bit, if any of you remember last week we talked about, I didn't preach really, but we had Heather Pueller and Trey Smith shared about LifeWise, the LifeWise program that's coming to our community uh, they're involved in bringing it here. There's many of you are involved in bringing it here, whether it's through volunteering or financial stuff, whatever. There's a lot involved in making that happen. But LifeWise, I think, is a very clear picture of the long game. And it's what Christianity, we've struggled with the long game for a long time. We have played defense and reacted to things for a long, long time. And, and some of that, I think a large part of it, what we're going to look at a little bit today, uh, I promise this will not be my longest teaching ever, Danny, I promise. But I think a, in large part, this is because we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. Um, when we don't know why we're doing whatever the thing is that we're doing, I'm not just talking about the church, it's humans. If we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, when it becomes difficult to continue, we often will quit. Now, I was thinking about, I have to have examples because that's how my little peanut brain works. And I think about uh, vehicle maintenance or machine maintenance. I think about it in machines, but like I, I knew an outfit one time, they bought a machine and they ran it for a long time. It was a piece of heavy equipment. And when times were good, in other words, there's a surplus of money. We got plenty of money coming in. There's a lot of work. We're generating a lot of income. Uh, whoever, the salesman that sold the machine to them said, well, you should service the engine every 200 hours. You should service the hydraulic system every 500 hours. And when there's plenty, that's kind of an expensive thing on some of these machines. But when you have plenty of money, it's easy. It's like, well, yeah, of course we're going to do that because the guy said to. But... Let times get a little tough. We haven't generated a lot of money. The savings accounts are a little, maybe they're empty. First thing to go, if you don't understand why you maintain that piece of equipment, it's like we should probably not spend the $1,000 on oil because we don't know why we're doing it anyways. They just said to do it. We should, I mean, it's probably for a reason, but... If you've ever had to replace a hydraulic pump or overhaul an engine, well, that $1,000 seems pretty important or whatever it would cost. Is anybody tracking me on this? So when, when times are good, we just, yeah, hey, you go buy a new car tomorrow. Every, think, put yourself in this situation. You go buy a new car tomorrow. And I mean, Hypothetically speaking, let's say there was no EVs available, so you had to buy a combustion engine. And the salesman's like, you need to come back every 5,000 miles and we'll service your vehicle. Okay, no problem. Right now, it's under warranty. Gets out of warranty, like, you know, you still need, or the, out of the, where they do the free oil changes, we still need to do that. Okay, that's fine, we got plenty of money. But when the cupboard is empty 
and you don't have a lot of money, it's like, I don't know, it still has oil in it. Right? Does this make sense? Is anyone paying attention? Does this metaphor get you? It makes sense because like, well, I, it seems easy. There's still oil in it. But if you've ever had an engine lay down on you or tie up where it's like, we, it's, now it's broken and now I got to spend 10 grand on an engine. That 50 bucks for an oil change seems cheap. There's a point to this, everybody. You're, everyone's staring at me like, is this like maintenance on vehicles or what? No, this is church. There's a point to this. The point being if we don't understand why we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do, when opposition presents itself, when it may cost you more than you think you have to keep doing it, it's the first thing that goes. What do I mean with church? I mean, our call and our commission is to share the gospel. It is to sow seeds of the gospel. You know what our job is not to do? Your commission and my commission as a believer in Jesus Christ is not primarily to stop sinning. <gasps> Collective gasp. Is sinning good for you? No. Our job as a Christian is not litigation. Another collective gasp. Our job as a Christian is not the be goods. All of that stuff will happen. All of that stuff will come. You'll be involved in stuff. You'll change the world. But your number one job, our primary purpose is to share the gospel, which is as long as there's no opposition, it's like, that's good. That's, and it preaches okay. We can get excited about it. Listen, the preacher can even talk loud about, that's good, that's good. Let some opposition come in. Let it cost you something. It gets harder to keep doing it. If you don't know why, why does the gospel matter? Why is it so important to play the long game? You see, the founders of this country, and I'm not preaching about the founding of this country today. I'm using it as a, a, it's a stepping stone into where we're going. But the founders of this country understood they were going to trade their fortunes for us to have a future. They understood why they signed the declaration. They understood why it was important that they fought. It wasn't important that they fought so they were gonna get wealthier. Most of the signers were wealthier before the Declaration of Independence than they ever were in the years following. Because we did, as a national economy, we did some dipping after that. We didn't, we didn't, it didn't just bounce right back. We, we gotta understand the big picture. Why do we play the long game? Why does something like LifeWise matter? And I'm not, again, preaching just on LifeWise. I'm using these things as examples. Why does something like LifeWise matter? Because if we don't sow the gospel into the hearts and minds of the next generation, the gospel won't go forth from there. You say, well, I mean, how does that affect me? Well, it doesn't directly affect us, but it does affect eternity. We often, as, as humans, and I was speaking with a guy this morning, when, right when we first got here, it's so easy to lose focus on eternity in this life. It's so easy to lose our focus on the eternal things in lieu of whatever's loudest around us. And if we don't grasp the, under, the importance of this long game, what do I mean by the long game? Last week we read Psalm 1. We're gonna read that here, and I want us, I want us to look at this from the perspective of getting the word of God into our hearts and minds and into the hearts and minds of the generation up and coming. Now, you, I get excited, and sometimes I think I get excited enough for all of us, and sometimes I think I, I don't get excited enough for all of us. It is so important Look, this church thing, like what we're doing here, you guys came, wherever two or three are gathered, in the name of Jesus there, he'll be in our midst. He, he's, the Spirit of the Lord is with us. He goes with us. He walked in with you guys. He walked in with me. He's with everybody who's not here. And sometimes I, I feel like it can just get repetitive. It can just get 
It's like, well, we did like the church thing. We went to, and you, not, not consciously. I'm not talking about consciously where you sit in your head and think like, I guess I just checked the box. But subconsciously, we can just get into this laissez-faire, it's kind of, you know, like we did church, like we went to church and it's like, wow, that's really good. We probably should share the gospel with somebody and also I got to get going. And we lose the magnitude, the importance of this. This is like what, it's not what I'm saying that matters. What I'm saying is, relatively speaking, irrelevant. It's what is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus? Do we believe the gospel? Do we believe in eternity? If we believe in eternity, then the gospel just went from not that important to all important. The gospel is more important than your 401k. The gospel is more important than your house payment. The gospel is more important than your education. The gospel is more important than making it to work tomorrow. The gospel is more important than your health. It's more important than every aspect of this life. You know why? Because all of them stop at some point. Everything will tick its last talk at some point except the gospel. All of the things that are most important, all of the things that scream for our attention, all of the things that you may be tempted to be thinking about right now, and maybe you are, all the things that you're going to do the rest of the day, everything's going to stop at some point. This may be a cold reality you haven't bumped up next to lately, but it is reality nonetheless. This is the only thing that continues. The gospel, the word of God, eternal life is available. The magnitude of that is beyond our ability to grab a hold of it, But I invite you to try. I invite you to try. Meditate. Think on it. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. We're going to read through it, and then we're going to go back and try and find my spot. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day night. And night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Sowing seeds of the word of God will produce a harvest of Psalms chapter one in people's lives. Blessed, Strong's Hebrew word 835 means happy and content. What everyone on this earth for all time has always wanted is to be blessed. Blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. We choose where we walk, don't we? We make a choice where we walk, where we frequent. The idea, the, the picture that's kind of painted there is of a worn path. It's not that you never encounter stuff, but it's this worn path. What are the worn paths of our lives? Blessed is the man who doesn't wear a path in under the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the path, in the worn path of sinners, or sit in the seat, sitting in the stands with the scornful. I like, I like that picture. Have you ever sat in the stands with a bunch of super critical people? Like you're sitting in the stands like, oh, that guy's an idiot. That guy, you know, you sat there. They're, they have no talent. I don't know why they're on the field sitting in the seat with the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Back up to that counsel. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel. That word kind of jumped out and got me. It's a Strong's Hebrew 6098, if you want to look it up. And it means to plot or to plan with a purpose. That with a purpose shows up over and over in the definition of it. It's to plot and to plan with a purpose. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of those who are plotting and planning understood with a purpose 
of the ungodly. That word just kind of jumped out and got me. But in his law, fast forward, in, in his law, he meditates in the law of the Lord day and night. That word to meditate day and night means to murmur, to ponder, and to imagine. Now, this is a different way of studying Scripture than maybe what we commonly do. We maybe have a Bible, anybody got a Bible reading plan? I've done several of those in my life. Or maybe you got your, your daily devotion that you get that's got a Scripture, a Word of God for the day. Now, and, and you can implement all this stuff, but I love the way the, way the psalmist wrote, uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates, he ponders, he murmurs to himself. Is In that definition, is it, as he's walking on the path of life, he's murmuring, about, he's just sort of mumbling. Have you ever met anybody that just is constantly talking to himself? I used to work with a guy, and it was just always, you just hear him across the shop, like, what is he, and there was a, for a while, I was like, what? What do you need? Huh, what, what? Nothing, no, I'm just, I'm just working. You just, he was just always talking. He still does, by the way. I just don't work in the same shop as him all the time. But 90% of the time, he was murmuring, talking about scripture. And it's this to murmur, to ponder, to imagine, to meditate, and back up to that word blessed, and then keep going. It's, it's to be happier, to be content. In his laws, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. So we're going to look at this. We're going to try and flesh this out fairly quickly because there's a few more points I want to get to. But when you look at this, why spend time in the word of God? Why murmur and ponder and meditate? Because we want to be blessed in this life and because we also want to be like a tree planted by rivers of water. What does that mean? That's a, if you've ever memorized Psalm 1, you just think of like a tree and you finish it planted by rivers of water. But we don't often think about it. Now, the last six weeks of farming has made us think a lot about what it means to be planted by a river of water. A tree planted by a river will never be in want. So you're planting something by the source of life. Water is the source of life for a tree. It needs soil for sure, but it needs water. If you, any, anybody have a, a green lawn, I guess sometimes we have watering thing, you know, like uh, sprinklers and whatnot. But without a sprinkler, my yard looked like the Sahara Desert for the last while. It was just, there was no streams of water by my house. But if you plant something by a stream, it is green all the time. It just stays green. It draws moisture from the stream. Interestingly enough, a river, <clears throat> planted by rivers of water is the way that Psalmist wrote it, is sourced somewhere else. The water in a river doesn't come from where the tree was planted. It comes from, what do we say? It's coming from up, upstream. And you know, like mountain streams, you know, like, it's like stuff melts into August or what? There's, there's uh, snow melting into, into the summer months, way into the summer months, way up high in the mountains. It just melts real slow and it goes down and it forms this little trickling stream and then eventually it turns into a river and it's just, it's sourced way far before the drought ever gets there. So the area, what the psalmist is painting this picture, that there is a river which is the word of God. And we can be planted by the word of God, near it, close to it, meditating, drawing off of the word of God. And it's sourced somewhere else. Where's the source? Jesus is our source. It's not here and now on our shoulders. You know, today, the importance of water in our culture is kind of it's lost a little bit because our society, which we live in such a posh, we have plenty of, you know, there's bottled water. You know, we go buy bottled water. We have water piped into our house from, from water towers, and we got water treatment plants, and we got, you know, there's just water everywhere. We have plumbing. We just flush the toilet, and we do all the stuff. There's just water. So its value is kind of lost on us. But when the water, when, when you, when you're, I grew up, we had a shallow well, and the well would uh, run out periodically. And we learn to value water quite a bit. It's like, ah, oh, I want to take a shower. Well, you can go stand in the shower. That's about as far as you're going to get. There was no water. The well would be out of water. And we travel today, the closest picture of the, of the value of this, we travel today from fuel station to fuel station, don't we? If you've ever been out west, you know that there's places 
when you're going across like Nebraska, South Dakota, Montana, where it's like next fuel, 287 miles. And we look at our odometers like we got 50 miles on this tank, but you add 50 to 287 and we're out before we get there. So we stop in and we get more fuel. We think fuel station to fuel station. When this was being written, you traveled from water source to water source if you couldn't follow a stream. Because you're the importance of water, you would die without water. Now we understand that as a principle, but not as a practice today. We don't hear about a lot of people that are like, they died of thirst across, crossing I-80 across Ohio. That doesn't happen real, real often. Not that it couldn't or doesn't, but it doesn't happen very common. You can run out of fuel, but you don't usually run out of water. This is, like, they had such a high value on this water that this picture of being a tree planted by rivers of water it meant something to them. But even today, this, when you would travel from water source to water source, you would do it to avoid withering. I chose that word specifically because that's what it says, whose leaf also shall not wither. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. This is a good thing. You read this. Who reads this and says, I don't really want any part of that guy? We read this like, I want to be that guy. The temptation, though, and this is, I, the temptation is to take this and turn it into this natural life. Anybody dealt with that temptation? Maybe we've heard that, where it's like, what the psalmist is saying that if we read the Bible, we'll never be physically in want. And it pre, if you take this chapter, rip it out of Psalms, and out of the context of the gospel, it preaches okay. We can preach it. It's like, because we'll just, well, it says, he'll walk, if you walk down the cows on the galley, and don't stand in the path of sinner or sit in the seat of the scornful, but your delight is in the law of the Lord, and if you meditate day and night, you'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water, brings forth its fruit and season, so everything will be in its time in your life, and your leaf won't wither, and whatever you do shall prosper. Your business will prosper. Everything will be perfect for you in this life. But in the context of the gospel, that doesn't really fly because how many of you know most of the disciples were killed and they were broke when they died? They were probably thirsty when they died. They, some of them were crucified. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them were burned at the stake. There was all kinds of, it's like they were not obviously meditating in the word of God. You could make that case if what this means is just that you will have a perfect life. This is not that fun to hear. I understand everyone's somber look at me. That's okay. We're gonna keep going because it's important. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means your leaf will never wither. Whatever you do will prosper. In the context of the gospel, When the source of our joy and peace is not in this world, even when a difficult season or a drought or a natural happening occurs that's negative, we can still rejoice because our source as a believer, who we are rooted and grounded in in the word of God is Jesus, it's upstream. What, what does this mean how does this apply into our lives? And how does, and you you're might be thinking, where, how is he gonna tie this all together? I am not sure yet. No, I've got a whole bunch, there's just a lot to this, and I wanna paint this picture, the value of the word of God being placed in the hearts and minds of young people, in our hearts and minds. It is not just, it's not just to get something good in this life. If, if I preached a message and I came up here, it's like, man, if you guys all read the Bible and you read it every day and you don't think about anything else, by the end of the year, you're gonna be richer than you were last year. And then, that, that's fine, but what if a year from now, somebody goes bankrupt? Well, then I failed or the gospel failed or the most convenient thing is to say, they didn't meditate enough. They didn't, they didn't focus enough on it. And that's not what this is about. You see, think about it. 
In his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, which tells us droughts will come, but our leaves don't have to wither. Will difficulties come? Sure. Promise you. Jesus said there's going to be difficulties. He promised that he overcame the world. We don't have to lose heart when we encounter difficulties. When when the grass is dry around us, we can draw on peace and joy from the gospel that's coming upstream. It might not be our circumstances. The word happy means it's drawn from the same thing that we get to happen from. So our happiness is rooted in whatever's happening around us. So it might get difficult around us, but our leaves, the, the color, the way we look won't wither and fade. Now, physically we might, but understand when someone sees you and they know that you're in Christ, you look different. You walk through what? The valley of the shadow of death and you fear no evil. That's just plumb wrong in the natural. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death should produce fear of evil in the natural. Does that make, that make sense? It's like, well, we're walking through the valley. It could be very scary. In fact, we could die, or possibly we experience death, or we, someone around us experiences death. That should evoke a reaction of fear. But if we're just what Psalm 1 is talking about, when we meditate on the law of the Lord, we'll be like a tree planted by river. We know he's with us. We understand what? The magnitude of the gospel. We understand, yes, this life is difficult. It seems to be a bit dry. But you know what? It's all right. I'm still right with who? The government? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, who are you right with? I'm right with the creator of the heavens and the earth. The God who has no beginning and has no end has said, you are right to stand before me. In fact, you are my child. Oh, what's that about its Difficult down here? It may be difficult down here, but it's okay. I'm not preaching difficulty. I'm not, look, let's, well, let's just believe Jesus for some difficulty. No, I'm believing Jesus for eternal life, and it started the day I got born again. There could be difficulty here. It's the static condition of this earth. But my river of peace is sourced elsewhere. The river's the stream doesn't start right in front of me. It came from somewhere way upstream. And it's available to all of us. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It's another little glimpse. It's a little tie. It's like I, I think about withering the grass withers. We've seen that, have we not? The flower, it'll fade, but the word of God stands forever. That's our source. We look back at Psalm 1. We're meditating on the word of God so that we're not going to wither. We're not going to fade. The word of our God stands forever. Verse 30 of Isaiah chapter 4. Uh, let's just read all that. 27 through 31 of Isaiah chapter 40. What do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard, verse 28, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, neither faints nor is weary? Hallelujah. That's who we're right with. Just think about this. When you're, when you're reading about the Lord, it's like, that's my God. That's, my, that's the Lord. That's my Lord. He's, that's my Lord. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens of the, of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Verse 29, he gives power to who? The weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Verse 30, even the youth shall faint and be weary. In other words, stick a pin there. It could get so dry that even people that are just, they're just born with a chipper personality, they can get run down. They can dry out. They can wither. And the young men shall utterly fall. Young men typically are fairly optimistic. Like, because why? Well, we got everything out in front of us, and we're going to go conquer the world. Even young men, even the ones who've got that, we're going to conquer the world. They don't have the benefit of having wisdom like old men have. It's like, no, we can do it. We can do it. Even they will utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not 
faint. When you contrast in Psalm 1, verse 3 with verse 4 and 5, the man who delights in the word, meditates on it day and night, will not wither, but will sustain in any condition. Again, this isn't a promise that will sustain perfect comfort in every circumstance. Rather, it's a guarantee we can maintain peace and joy regardless of the drought around us. The ungodly, though, I love the pictures that are in Psalm 1, the ungodly. Those who don't dwell on the word of the Lord, they become, they're like the chaff. The wind carries away. It's worthless, dusty, flammable, empty husks. Now, we can look at this, and you can see, you know, there's layers in Scripture. It doesn't have, there's only one interpretation of Scripture, but there are many applications. Anybody tells you, it's like, well, there's a lot of different interpretations. That's, that's concerning. There's only one. What it means is what it meant. It's what it'll always mean. But there are many applications. That's where we get layers of Scripture. There's different ways it can be applied. You can, we can look at this and apply it in such a way, the ungodly are not so. Those who are not born again are not so. You can look at that. Because if you're not born again, you're not drawing on supernatural peace. You don't have access to it. It's not that, it's not that God's holding it back from you. You're just not you don't have a relationship with him. But you can also look at it, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the, ca- uh, hold on, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The ungodly. Those who do not dwell in the word of, uh, now a person can be born again and not dwell in the word of God. This is, I, we're not gonna get into once saved, always saved, uh, that stuff right now. We're not gonna look at that, but I just wanna point out, you can be born again and not dwell in the word of God. Has anybody here ever done that? No show of hands, I'll raise mine for all of us. We've all done it where we had times where we weren't meditating, we weren't dwelling in the word of God. It wasn't our frequent worn path of our minds, of our practice in day-to-day life. And what happens is we can become just like, just like this picture, we can become like chaff. Now, if you know anything about harvest, you know that the chaff is not the good part. When you harvest through a wheat field, it's not like, man, how much chaff do you think that's gonna yield? You, there's a little you can get with a straw where people are like, I really would like to get a lot of straw for bedding. We're not going to get into that. The cash value in a field is in the grain. We can become where we're not carrying any grain. We can become worthless and easy to be blown away or blown off course. James talks about this. When we become double-minded, not meditating on the word of God, not rightly dividing, as Paul instructed Timothy, the word of truth, understanding our covenant with the Father, when we become that way, we get blown off course very easily. Whichever, hey, the waves are blowing this way, and so we're kind of going that way. When we feel ourselves being blown around in the world where one day you wake up and you think one thing, and two days later you think another, does that sound like double-mindedness? Can I get an amen? We've been there. I've spent time there. And whenever I spend time there, do you know what I always am reminded I feel like I'm a buoy without an anchor. I'm just like floating, just bobbing across the sea. And right now it looks like we're going this way. And then tomorrow might be going this way. And I have to what? I gotta get back to what the word of God says. That's the way we reattach and retether to our rooted, grounded position is through the word of God. Because it's through the word of God that we become, as Paul talks about, we're gonna look at in a minute, wise unto salvation, There's a lot in this that I want, us to, I want us to get to. We can become dusty, flammable, empty husks. When we, it's a clear contrast. You, we all understand contrast. Black and white. It's a contrast. Left, right. Up, down. We contrast and compare things all the time. Fast or slow. If I was to run with any of you across this building, I would be the one you'd say, slow. And everyone, fast. If my wife is a perfect example, she was a runner in high school. She's way faster than I am. And so when we run, it's like, hang on, honey, I'll be up there in a minute. I'm, it's an easy contrast or comparison. Psalm 1 presents us with a very clear contrasting position. We can dwell in the word of God rooted and grounded in the word of God. And we can experience peace that passes understanding. We can experience being able to bring forth a harvest regardless of our circumstances. We can walk in peace when the world, imagine the testimony. There's a lot of people have spent a lot of time preaching on the testimony and talking about, well, imagine when you 
studying the word of God and then your business blossoms, what a testimony that is to the word of God. And that's fine. I'm not throwing stones at anybody, but I'm offering a, I want to offer a contrasting opinion to that that is imagine that everything in your world goes sideways and you're still at peace. Now tell me which one is a greater testimony? The testimony, when the world's going sideways and you maintain faith, when as the stories of old People that translated the word of God into common languages so people could read it got burned at the stake. And while they were burning, they were praying for the people that were burning them. The testimony of that man's experience made it to the ears of the king who commanded him to be burned and the king wound up getting born again. That is a testimony. It's Difficulties are gonna be here. But if we can root ourselves down deep into the word of God to where our sustenance isn't on the news, the news doesn't have to go our way, and I'm telling you right now, it ain't always gonna go our way. But when we get rooted down so deep that we're drawing from the stream, the the topsoil's bone dry, the grass is withering, the flowers that somebody planted around the base of our tree, they're all faded, and we're still got green leaves. We still got peace. This is, it's so easy to preach. Everybody should go read your Bible. We're gonna do a Bible study so more people read their Bibles. But if you don't know why you're reading your Bible, if you don't understand the purpose of reading your scripture, spending time in the word of God, it's not to make you a better person. But it will happen, you'll, be, you'll become, you'll see things where it's like, ah, oh, I gotta work on that. Like, I keep consistently seeing, I gotta work on this or that. Whatever the area is that the Lord's working on. But that's not the point, that's a byproduct. If we make the byproduct the point, it's gonna, we're gonna lose interest. Just like maintaining your vehicle, it's like, I don't know why I do this, it's just expensive, let's not. And then you do, this is what's crazy about that maintenance thing, you can skip. Well, we're gonna skip an oil change. Times are tough, we're gonna skip an oil change. And a month later, boom, the car still runs. I'm gonna skip another one. Like, why not? It's still running. That salesman just snookered me for the last 50,000 miles. I'm done changing the oil. It'll run for a while. You'll maintain for a while. You know, you'll even maintain a decent amount of peace for a while. But if you unplug from Scripture, and you just plug that plug into everything else around you, it will not take long before you're gonna have some long crank starts on that car. It's like, I don't know, what's that noise? I don't know, turn the radio up a little louder. What's that light? I don't know, honey, you got a sticker? We'll put a sticker over the light on the dash. And before you know it, it's not running anymore, and someone tows it to a dealership, and they're like, yeah, we can put a new engine in it for about 15 grand. When did you change the oil on this last? Well, you guys did it the last time when it was free. There's your problem. We can unplug. This is our lives are just, there are t- that is a typical thing. We can, we'll just unplug. And we'll just, you know what? I don't really need to be part. I don't, I, I read the Bible for a long time. It's like, I'm good. I know, and this is what Christian, it's like, I know where I'm going. Anybody ever hear anybody say that? It's like, so like, are you like, what are you learning in the word of God? I don't know, I know where I'm going. So you're, we unplug. It is a decision. We decide what we meditate on. We decide what we think on. We decide what we feed on. Where we sit in the worn paths that we develop in this life. You are in charge of that in your life. That's a big responsibility. Don't, don't fall prey to this thing where whatever you think is either God or it's like, well, that's just what God wanted me to think about. That's not true. God entrusted your decision to be born again to you. He entrusted that into your and my lives. We, de- we chose to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think he's gonna determine what you think? When he entrusted us the ability to decide to be born again and then you think, he's just gonna turn my brain on autopilot, whatever I'm supposed to think about. Don't fall prey to that. You decide, we decide what we think. We choose what we meditate on. I don't mean meditate in a weird, eastern, strange thing. I mean like what you think consistently on. 
I think this Psalm, Psalm 1 that we just looked at, I think it paints a really clear picture of why a program such as LifeWise is so wildly important. And I hesitated coming back to this, but I really, they talked about it last week. They presented some of the nuts and bolts, the mechanics of it. This is where it's at. This is what they're doing. They need X number of dollars. They got, it's, that's fine. And it was good to have them present that. I'm excited to have them present that. But I, I really want us as a church to think about what's our involvement in that? Not, I, financial comes and goes. I'm talking about what's our willingness to, to promote it, to carry water for something like that. The, the far-reaching effects of something like that where you're getting young children exposed to the gospel who wouldn't otherwise be, and we can have a part in that? Boy, take my money. Like, that's, that is the most important thing we could ever do. As New Covenant believers, it's so clear why this psalm is true. When we understand that Scripture is a revelation of Christ, all Scripture reveals Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. It becomes clear why it is able to provide sustenance in any circumstances. Does that make sense? As a New Covenant believer, so if if you're here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, you're a New Covenant believer, which means you believed in the covenant that Jesus established the night before he was crucified, that he, in his death, burial, and resurrection, because he was a sacrificial lamb, we can be right with the Father. When we understand that, and I know I, I talk about this every week, and I probably always will, it becomes easy to see why meditating on Scripture will sustain us in any time. Any time. You say, I don't know. There's probably difficult times that the word won't sustain you. I disagree. I don't think there's any experience that we can have in this life that the word of God will not provide sustenance for us in. Not one. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 13 through 17. This is the last chunk of scripture, unless it's not, that we're gonna look at. Verse 13, but evil men and imposters, this is, so <clears throat> Paul wrote this letter to, Pastor Timothy, he had, he had started, Paul had been, he was a missionary. He traveled around starting churches um, and sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, uh, discussing the principles of the gospel. He was a Jew of Jews, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had been trained by the religious elites of his day and uh, he had been commissioned by God to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And in his travels, he had started these churches, and then many of them he had placed under the leadership of Pastor Timothy, who was a young man at that point in time. This, from all of our historical accounts that we have, this was probably Paul's last letter, probably the last thing that he wrote. Um, Now, things weren't going real great for him at this point. He was most likely in prison or about to be imprisoned. Uh, He was on the radar of the most powerful government in the world at the time, and they wanted to kill him which they wound up eventually doing. And as he's imparting this last letter to Timothy, this, this chunk, I memorized 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17 when I was a kid, but really didn't understand the context and, and the importance and the complexity of what he passed on. We'll pick up in verse 13. I just want to give you a little broad strokes of this book. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. He's giving Timothy warnings, just so you know. There's gonna be evil men and people imposing. They're standing in as something that they're not. They're gonna go worse and worse. They're deceiving, and then they're gonna be deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Hold fast. You continue. Hold fast in the things you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all profitable for doctrine. It's all profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished, or equipped for every good work. We looked at the Scripture a couple weeks ago. We're looking at a different part of it today. Verse 15 says, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now, what Scriptures do you think Timothy would have known? From childhood, it would have not been, you think maybe John. That would have been a good, no, he, John, no, he wouldn't have known John. He certainly wouldn't have known it as Scripture. The Scripture that Timothy would have known from his youth was the Old Testament. 
Well, that doesn't make sense, though, because it says that it'll be able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. There's no, like, what Paul's getting at, the Old Testament, Scripture, getting Scripture into your heart will produce a harvest. It will, it will make us wise to salvation. Even Genesis, even, and we've looked at this, and I'm not gonna re-preach all the messages that we've talked about it, but I love that Paul gives Pastor Timothy a whole bunch of things to preach. He's like, stay, hold fast. Remember all the things that you know and all the things that you learned, all of the Old Testament? Preach them, preach them, preach them, and it will make people wise to salvation. The law, Paul told us the law is a schoolmaster. It's a teacher, it's an educator to bring us to the end of ourselves to the point that we need the gospel to be true. We need Jesus. We know, hey, you know what? Without the law, we don't really know. I don't know where we are. Are we right? I don't know if we're right with God or not. But when we instill the word of God, even into our own hearts, it makes us wise. It gives us wisdom unto salvation. Now, this is full picture, and I'm about done here. Think about this with what we started out talking about, knowing why we're doing something. It's like, well, it'd be really good if we could Get the Bible in the school. That'd be great. Why? So that kids would do less drugs? So that there would be fewer teen pregnancies? Maybe get the Bible in the school so that there'd be less, less profanity. That'd be good. Get the Bible in the school so we could get them kids into church. It's like, that's a pretty, that's shooting pretty low. No, why do we want the word? Why are we teaching the word of God? Why do we teach the word of God here? It's not to scratch an itch. It's not just to do a thing. It's not just so that we can all like, well, I guess you only did the church thing, but let's keep going. It's because the word of God will make us wise to salvation. The only thing that matters in this life. The only thing that can provide peace when you bury a loved one. The only thing that can provide peace when the bank just took your house and you're standing on the front porch with a garbage bag and it's like, well, where to from here? Where do we draw peace in those times? Where do we draw peace in when the world flies the wrong direction apart? I don't know. If we're rooted and grounded in the word of God, it's not that those difficult times won't be difficult. I'm not saying it won't be difficult, but we can get through with peace. We can walk, we can keep walking this, it's, a, it's a walk of faith, it's not a run of faith. It's not, my brother-in-law is a runner of epic proportions. When he does anything, it's like full four-wheel drive on. And so years ago, years ago we went for a run together. I was dating Melinda and Justin and I went for a run and I had been running all the time and he could barely keep up. He's like, and he ended up quitting before I was done. I ran like four miles or something. He ran like two or three, I don't know. It was, and he's like, man, I gotta get back to running. And then like two and a half years later, he's running marathons and Ironmans and half Ironmans and he's swimming and it's like, I'm like barely doing two now, but he takes everything and he, he goes, it's a, it's a run, full on. And this isn't anything about him, it's just the point, like, that's not how this walk of faith is. It's not as fast and as hard and as long as we can go. It's the pace of a walk, which makes it a lot easier to keep moving, doesn't it? Difficult times. I don't have to run a mile today. I'm just gonna take a step. I'm gonna take a step knowing that I'm right with the Father, knowing that I've been made right by the sacrifice of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, I'm gonna root a little deeper. I'm gonna send that tap root down a little further so that I can draw a little deeper on the word of God. And I'm gonna take another step. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Verse 15, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on in 16 and 17 and he qualifies all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. This is no less true for us today than it was for Timothy. 
my encouragement for you today. Continue in the things that you've learned, things you've been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Many of you from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Hold fast to those. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Remember, church, all Scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we, as the sons and daughters of God, we may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every task the Lord has for us. Stand with me if you would this morning. I'd like to dismiss us with a declaration. This morning, in Revelation Rock, we choose to place a high value on the Word of God, understanding more and more the importance of dwelling in this Word we've been given. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. We are thankful this morning for this great gospel that we have the opportunity to carry to our world. So today, as we step out, we step out with the boldness of a lion, knowing that greater is he, the lion of Judah, who is in us, than than he who is in the world. Bow with me if you would. Lord, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the simple truths revealed in Psalm 1. Father, I thank you right now for the opportunity we have to be involved in this LifeWise program, whatever that looks like for each of us. Lord, I thank you that we are alive right now. I thank you that each person that's in the sound of my voice was created, intricately woven together in their mother's womb for such a time as this. Father, I pray that whatever the thing is, whatever the, whatever the things are that you've laid on the hearts of the people in this room, you would give them to, the courage to step out and do. Lord, I, whether it's simple conversations, most of, most of life is simple conversations. Father, I just pray that you would give each of us courage to have those simple conversations this week, to ask the simple questions and to share the simple answers. Lord, I thank you so much that you have woven the gospel all through all Scripture. And it's not only found in one book, but you've, you've built in redundancies for us. Over and over and over, you present the gospel. You present the gospel in Genesis and Exodus. You present the gospel all through Moses' ministry and into Joshua and all through the Old Testament, Father, in David's life and Solomon's life. Gideon, Lord, I just thank you so much that you are faithful. Pray a blessing over this body as we go from this place that we would go with boldness, Father, as we've just declared carrying the gospel. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the reports on the news, regardless of what circumstances we encounter this week, Lord, that we would send our taproot deeper into the word of God and draw on that word and the truth that is in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.